Unforgiveness is a prison, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January will help you break out of the unforgiveness in your own life. It's titled, Unforgivable? How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. Or learn more about Unforgivable at issuesetc.org. Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives, The Issues Etc. Book of the Month. Is any sin unforgivable? If someone refuses to repent, do we still need to forgive them? And what if we have gone a long time failing to forgive someone or failing to be forgiven? How do we begin that conversation of reconciliation? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to talk about forgiveness and unforgiveness, Dr. Ted Kober. He's a certified Christian conciliator. He is author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January, Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives. Dr. Kober, welcome back. Well, thank you. And you can just call me Ted. Ted, what is unforgiveness? So I need to define forgiveness to help you understand how we define unforgiveness. And we wanted to define forgiveness in a very narrow sense, differently how most authors that talk about forgiveness define it. We define forgiveness as sharing God's gift that we have received through Jesus Christ. In other words, when I forgive someone, I'm simply sharing the forgiveness he has given me in Jesus. So unforgiveness is withholding God's gift from others. Is any sin unforgivable? So the answer is yes, but it's much narrower than we often would like to think of it. People often identify some particular heinous sin that in their mind is unforgivable. And that varies depending on who you ask. You ask 10 different people what an unforgivable sin is, and you're likely to get 10 different answers. And it often relates to their personal experience, some major offense that has happened to them or someone they love, or some guilt that they are carrying on their own that they believe is unforgivable. But Jesus Christ died for all sins of the world, and the Bible only identifies one sin that might be considered unforgivable, And that's blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. What that means is rejecting faith, denying that Jesus Christ died for your sin. That's the only unforgivable sin. And actually, if you repent of that sin, that sin too is forgivable. But if we die not believing in Jesus, then we retain all of the consequences of our own sins. And that's why it's considered unforgivable. How does Christ's forgiveness change us? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 explains it this way. Paul is writing, and he talks about the ministry of reconciliation. And as he talks about that, he defines that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, God made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
And that's the great exchange, that God's Son paid the full punishment and consequences for all of our sins. And in return, then we receive the righteousness of Christ. So how does that change us? To God, we are no longer unforgivable. We've been forgiven. And to God, because of Jesus' blood and righteousness, we are seen as holy. And that gives us the inheritance of heaven. So it changes everything for eternity, but it also changes us as we live in this world as well, in the temporal world, because it gives us a new way to look at life and to share the gift that we've been given in Christ. What then is our new identity in Christ? Our new identity then is instead of being an enemy of God, which is what we are by nature, we become an heir of God, a precious child who inherits all of the heavenly inheritance that he has chosen for his children. So we are no longer simply sinners who have no hope, but we are forgiven sinners who God has chosen to make his own children, and it changes who we are. And as a result of that, it changes how we look at ourselves and how we look at others. What role does prayer play in the life of forgiveness? So our God invites us to pray to him, to rejoice in our prayers, and also to bring our burdens to him. And on our own human strength, we cannot forgive as God has forgiven us. We can only do that through the strength that he gives us, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So prayer becomes important as we lay our burdens to Jesus and ask that he enable us to do that, which we could never do on ourselves. That is to forgive someone as God has forgiven us. So in essence, we're asking him to work a miracle in our hearts, to do that thing which is not human, but which is divine. And that means to forgive those who have sinned against us and against those we love. How does the story of Joseph in the Old Testament book of Genesis teach us about forgiveness? So that's a powerful story, and one of our chapters deals extensively with that by by quoting Joseph, saying, am I in the place of God? So what happened to Joseph is he was favored by his father, and his father doted on him, which made the other brothers jealous. And there were a lot of other things that caused them to be angry and upset with Joseph. And as a result, they had plotted, some of the brothers plotted to kill him. But instead, uh, one of the brothers said, well, let's just throw him into this empty well, and then we can decide what to do with him. And in the meantime, a caravan came by that was headed to Egypt, and the brothers pulled him out of the well and sold him as a slave to be hauled off to Egypt. Then they lied to their father, showed him the special robe his father had given him and covered it with blood and said, a wild animal must have torn him apart and eaten him. So they caused great grief to their father in the lie and the deception, but they also caused huge grief for Joseph. He got hauled off to Egypt to a land where he didn't know the language, he didn't know the customs. He ended up working in a high official's home 
then got falsely accused of sexual assault. He got unjustly thrown into prison. And for years, he sat in that prison. And while the Bible doesn't talk about the resentment he may have felt toward his brothers, because he was human, like all of us, there had to be times that he must have been very angry with his brothers for all the things that had happened to him. But God used Joseph. He got released from prison as he interpreted the Pharaoh's dreams, got put in a very high position, and helped lead Egypt to prepare for seven years of famine after seven years of plenty. And so the Pharaoh put him in this very high position, and he was there when his brothers came seeking to purchase food from Egypt because the famine was so wide across all the land. And he recognized them, he tested them for a while, but eventually when he revealed himself to his brothers, they became terrified because Joseph had both the right in justice and the power in his position to execute judgment, and they deserved it and they knew it. But instead, he forgave his brothers. And they may have thought that it was just in order to bring the father back and eventually reunite them, which is what happened. But after their father died, the brothers were afraid again. Now that their father had died, will Joseph execute retribution against us or judgment against us? And he told them, he says, do not fear. Am I in the place of God? And he forgave them, which indicated that only God can truly withhold forgiveness or make that decision. But he had the foresight to say, God sent me here ahead of you for the saving of many lives. Of course, he had many years to reflect back on that. But it was really a miracle that after all that had happened to him and the grief, the severe grief they caused his father, whom he loved so dearly, that he could forgive them. And so Joseph leaves us with that question. When we want to withhold forgiveness, are we really trying to be God? Am I in the place of God? And that's what Joseph teaches us about forgiveness. Dr. Ted Kober is our guest. We're talking about forgiveness and unforgiveness. We'll move on to the story of Jonah next. Unforgiveness is a prison, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January will help you break out of the unforgiveness in your own life. It's titled, Unforgivable? How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. Or learn more about Unforgivable at issuesetc.org. Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives, The Issues Etc. Book of the Month. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we revel further in Colossians with Alive in Christ. Let no one disqualify you, things above. Mortify your members and the shape of the new life. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Where doctrine is life. You're listening to Issues Etc.
At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Thursday, the 4th of January, Dr. Ted Kober is our guest. We're talking about forgiveness and unforgiveness. We were talking before about Joseph in the book of Genesis. What about the story of the prophet Jonah? What does it tell us about forgiveness and unforgiveness? So Jonah is a wonderful book, just four chapters, but it deals extensively with unforgiveness and God's repeated forgiveness. Jonah hated the Ninevites because they were a very cruel enemy to the children of Israel. And Israelites despised them, and Jonah did as well. God called Jonah to preach repentance to them. Well, Jonah didn't want to do that because he was afraid that if they repented, he knew God. He knew God's heart. He knew his character. He knew that God would forgive them. Joseph didn't want God to forgive them. So initially, he got on a ship to sail away, tried to run away from God so that he wouldn't have to go on this mission trip. And, of course, God caused a great storm to come upon the ship, and the sailors on that ship were all fearful that they were going to lose their lives. They eventually, through various means, discovered that Jonah was running away from God, And he said, well, the only thing you can do is throw me into the sea. And they tried to resist that. Then they prayed that everything would be okay, that they wouldn't be held responsible. They threw him over into the sea, and immediately the storm ceased, and the sailors worshipped God. They received God's forgiveness. Meanwhile, Joseph is drowning in the depths of the sea. He comes to his senses, at least to a certain point realizes that he needs to repent. God sends him a rescue ship (laughs) of sorts. He sent him a fish to swallow him up and save him from drowning. He kept him in the belly for three days, and there in the belly of the fish, Jonah prays to God in thanksgiving for his salvation. And from that prayer, we can see that Jonah was a devout man, who knew the Psalms, because much of his prayer is quoting the Psalms, and he praises God for salvation. But he also says this, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. That's chapter 2, verse 8. In that prayer, Jonah acknowledges that those who cling to idols, those that reject God's love and forgiveness, forfeit the grace that is theirs. In forgiveness. And Jonah, of course, had an idol. His idol was that only the children of Israel deserved God's forgiveness. The Ninevites certainly did not. The fish spit him up out on land, and now Jonah fulfills his mission. He goes to Nineveh and preaches repentance with the warning that if they do not repent, that they will be punished severely. 
Well, much to Jonah's horror, the Ninevites repented from the king all the way across the land. And just as Jonah had figured, God forgave him. So you would have thought that now that he accomplished his mission, and it apparently was having a very positive result, you'd think he'd rejoice, but no. Once again, Jonah was upset, went out, and told God he just wanted to die. Now, if I were God, and I had appointed my prophet to do something, and I saved him from a terrible storm, saved him with a fish, sent him back out, and he did this again, I would probably just zap him and say, if you want to die, I'll let you die. But no, God forgives him over and over again. He forgave him when he rescued him with the the fish. He forgave him when he went on his pity party, and he did that multiple times. So what we see in this book is, first of all, God's forgiveness extending to non-Israelite people. First, the sailors on the boat. Next, the Ninevites that cruel enemy of Israel, but he forgives the prophet Jonah over and over again. And that gives hope to someone like me, because there's times that I don't want to forgive or I have trouble forgiving someone. And yet I know what it's like to be loved by God. I know that he is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, full of grace and mercy. And yet how do I treat people who sin against me? Sometimes I get unforgivable in my heart, and I do not want to extend that forgiveness to them. But the hope of Jonah gives me hope because God forgave Jonah over and over again. And that means that he can forgive me even when I struggle in my heart with unforgiveness. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to Issues Etc. We're discussing forgiveness and unforgiveness with Dr. Ted Kober, co-author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives. Dear listener, as we begin the new calendar year, be sure to bookmark adcrucem.com, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. Ad Crucem is your online store for Christian greeting cards, art, jewelry, posters, baptism and confirmation gifts, and more. Adcrucem.com, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. On the other side, Ted says that anger has become a new virtue in the U.S. We'll find out what he means. Education and edification. You're listening to Issues Etc. What does it mean to inwardly digest God's Word? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery tells his story of finding confessional Lutheranism to be the most scripturally faithful theology. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Do you dream about having stained glass windows at your church, but know they are too expensive to ever get them? Ad Crucem has the solution. Our window clings are an excellent way to enhance the beauty of your church without breaking that glass ceiling. Visit adcrucem.com and reach out to us to work with you on this project. Ad Crucem, established in 2014 and still going strong. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. 
In a world awash with all sorts of information, opinions, and ideas, there is still a place where God's Word is the central and only focus. Messiah Lutheran Church, 801 North Madison, Lebanon, Illinois. At 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, God's people gather there to listen to Him. There you will find His words of law and gospel, and of course, our Lord's Holy Supper. Bible classes focus on the Bible and the Lutheran confessions. Come, listen, believe, and live, and check out our website at messiahlebanon.org. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713-855-2681. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're talking about forgiveness and unforgiveness with Dr. Ted Kober, co-author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January, Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives. In about 15 minutes, we'll discuss why I'm not Roman Catholic with Dr. Jordan Cooper. Dr. Kober, you say that anger has become a new virtue in the United States. What do you mean by that? It used to be that people understood what the Bible teaches about the dangers of anger. But in our society today, we are told that to be angry is a good thing and it produces positive results. We see that when politicians take advantage of angry people and use it to move people to support them and campaign for them. We see that when people say, well, If people get angry, then positive change will come as a result of that. I was uh, watching a news program one day when they were interviewing a psychologist that had just written a book about emotions, and she repeated the same theme. She says, when you become angry, there's many positive things that can come as a result of that. And when people protest in anger over something, we're told that those kind of protests can make positive change in policy or the way that people are governed or the way that people look at things. And so people have become accustomed in our culture to think that anger produces positive results. But that's not what the Bible teaches. 
The Bible teaches that, as James says in chapter 1, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And there's many warnings against anger throughout Scripture, even to the point where Jesus identified anger with murder. And uh, John in 1 John also equates anger with murder. An angry heart tends to fuel our desire to withhold forgiveness or to refuse to forgive. There is a part of us that wants to see justice and to see just punishment where there's wrongdoing. But when we take that into our own hands, and especially withhold God's forgiveness, now we're putting ourselves in the place of God. We're naming them a Ninevite, just like Jonah did. And we do everything we can to prevent them from receiving forgiveness. And that's what anger can do. How do we escape when we're caught in this loop of unforgiveness, as you call it? So that really is the key of the book. And the theme is repeated throughout the book, throughout all the chapters. But there is one chapter called, What is the Key to Overcoming Unforgiveness? And what I've learned in 30-plus years of ministry, what the Scriptures have taught me, and what my co-author Mark Rockenbuck learned in his dissertation for his Ph.D. in counseling, is that when we struggle to forgive someone, the only way to overcome that is to focus on what God has done for us in Christ. And it's in realizing how forgiven we are in Christ that we are empowered to do that which we cannot do on our own, and that's forgive as God has forgiven us. And this is reflected in several places in Scripture. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he writes, Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The key to living in righteousness, the key to living as God's forgiven children, and the key to living our baptized life is in knowing and trusting in Christ's forgiveness for us. In that passage, it says that Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin. How do we die to our own sin, including withholding forgiveness? By reflecting on what he has done for us on the cross and in his resurrection, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And it is by Jesus' wounds that we are healed. And then he enables us to do the work he's called us to do. And that comes through focusing on God's work for us through the cross. Do we forgive even when someone refuses to repent? In order to answer that question, if we're to forgive as God has forgiven us, then we need to back up and say, well, how does God forgive us, and what is the relationship to repentance? So we ask the question, when did God forgive us? Well, he forgives us when we confess, certainly. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, from First John. But did he forgive us before that? And as we ask that question, we think about, yes, he forgives us in communion. 
He forgives us when we are baptized, but any earlier than that? And the answer is yes. When Christ died on the cross, uh, he won the forgiveness for the whole world. And any earlier than the cross. And we can look back to the garden where Adam and Eve sinned, and the promise was made to them. Well, any earlier than that, we read before the foundations of the world were laid, God's plan of salvation was made for us. So if our forgiveness was earned on the cross some 2,000 years ago, that was before I was born. That means before I repented, God's forgiveness was there for me. But there is a relationship between repentance and forgiveness, and it's not in the giving of forgiveness, but in the receiving of it. And so the way we describe that is the granting of forgiveness is not dependent upon repentance. But the receiving of God's forgiveness is dependent upon repentance, which includes faith in the gospel. In other words, God's forgiveness is available for everyone, but not everyone benefits from it. The only ones that benefit from it are those who believe that Christ died for them and rose again for them. They receive the gift that was already given to the whole world through Christ's death and resurrection. So if that's how God forgives us, that he forgives us without our being repentant, but we do not receive the benefit of it until we repent and believe the gift is ours. And if we're to forgive as God has forgiven us, then we forgive people before they repent. It doesn't mean that they'll benefit from that, but it does mean that we can be released from the prison we put ourselves in when we refuse to forgive. Now, What we want to do is we want to share that with them, and there's times we need to prepare people to receive that gift, which is where gentle confrontation comes into play. Because if they do not believe that they need forgiveness or that they are forgiven, they won't benefit from that. And so we go to help them to prepare to repent, not to deserve forgiveness, but to receive the blessings of that forgiveness. Are there circumstances when forgiveness needs to be withheld? The Bible gives very specific direction for that. And this comes under the whole area of the Office of the Keys, which is a specific power given to Christ's church on earth to forgive or to withhold forgiveness of sins. And the whole purpose of withholding forgiveness is to help the unrepentant person realize how dangerous it is to be in that state of unbelief, that state of lack of repentance, because if they do not repent, then they will receive the full punishment deserved for all of their sins. They retain the consequences of their own sin. And so we call that church discipline or excommunication, where the church withholds forgiveness from an individual per Christ's command so that they could be brought to repentance. And again, the whole purpose of that is so that people can be redeemed, they can be saved, they can be safe from the consequences of hell that are found in unbelief. What do we do with the lingering feelings of anger if we are the one who has forgiven 
or guilt if we're the one who has been forgiven after forgiveness? So, because we are human, we might forgive but still feel anger or hurt because of the offense, and that can be a very normal reaction. And there we take that burden back to the cross as well. And we say, Jesus, you have forgiven me, so I have forgiven this person, but I hurt. I'm still struggling in my anger. Help my unbelief. Give me the power to be healed through your forgiveness. Empower me to learn to overcome that anger and that feeling of injustice that I have. And it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that over time he can bring long-term healing. One of the places we saw this was when I and a colleague were asked to go to Rwanda on the 25th anniversary of the genocide. At the time of the genocide, nearly a million people were killed in 100 days, and not by an outside army, but by friends and neighbors and even relatives. And the killing was so brutal, and then there were others who were maimed and raped and tortured in other ways. It was just horrible. And while I had helped in mediation people who had been victims of sexual assault or physical assault or were survivors of those that had been murdered, never before had I been in a society where literally every person that was 25 years old or older was a victim, a perpetrator, or both. And what we were asked to do was to help train church leaders, help their parishioners deal with the trauma that followed the genocide, because many were just traumatized. What was amazing to us is at the time of the genocide, more than 90% of the people living in Rwanda uh, were Christian. And yet this awful thing happened. And so what followed afterwards was the people were being encouraged to forgive as God had forgiven them. And many of them did forgive their perpetrators. Right after the genocide occurred, many of the perpetrators fled into exile. Some of them went to prison. But now, these 20-plus years later, they were returning from exile. They were coming out of prison. And the only place they knew where to live was in the village where they had done the killing and the maiming and the raping and all the terrible things. And so, once again, they were next-door neighbors to their victims, the surviving victims. And what amazed us is that the victims were able to forgive, but they were still struggling with the trauma, and then they had anger toward them, and then they felt guilty about all of that. And we tried to learn what had been done in the years before we arrived to help them, and they'd all been taught to forgive as God had forgiven them. In other words, it was God's command they were following But what had not been done to a great extent from what we perceived is Christ's forgiveness was not being proclaimed to them. The gospel, the good news that no matter what they were experiencing, they themselves were forgiven by God. And so we showed them in the scripture where that was true, 
that for the guilt they felt, for the pain they were still experiencing, for the anger they were experiencing, Christ died for all sins, uh, the sins of their perpetrators and the sins they committed afterwards as victims or as victims and perpetrators. There's only one thing that brings healing, and that's healing from the cross of Christ. My colleague Dwight recently returned to Rwanda to do some additional teaching, and people shared with him that the message we brought to them, that they were forgiven in Christ, had brought healing to many, and they were able to overcome some of the issues that they'd been struggling with for so long. Dr. Ted Cobert is a certified Christian conciliator. He's co-author of The Issues Etc., a book of the month for January, Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives. You can purchase Unforgivable by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040 or browse before you buy at issuesetc.org. We'll continue with part two tomorrow, talking with Ted about forgiveness and consequences and whether we should forgive and forget. When we return... Dr. Jordan Cooper joins us. He's going to answer the question why he is not a Roman Catholic, and we'll find out his five objections to Roman Catholic theology and practice. Unforgiveness is a prison, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January will help you break out of the unforgiveness in your own life. It's titled, Unforgivable? How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. Or learn more about Unforgivable at issuesetc.org. Unforgivable, How God's Forgiveness Transforms Our Lives, The Issues Etc. Book of the Month. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's Life Ministry cares for pregnant women sharing the love of Christ. Listen to Pastor Ed DeWitt with Redeeming Life Outreach Ministries. One of the first residents we had said to me, Pastor, why do you do this? And I said, just stick with me through this class. And when we're done, you'll understand completely. Many of the women, as they go through the instruction, when we get to that part about baptism, they're like, Pastor, I want that for my baby. I want my baby to be adopted into God's family. God's mission here, lcms.org slash national mission. Christ-centered, cross-focused, you're listening to Issues Etc. Risen Savior Lutheran Church, Baser, Kansas. Located just right outside the northwest corner of the metro Kansas City area. We have a growing congregation of people who come from over 13 different communities to see what God is doing here who desire to only believe, teach, confess, and practice as the church always has. Risen Savior, Baser, Kansas. Check out our website, risensaviorlcms.org. Listen to the best of the church's Christmas music during the entire Christmas season at lutheranpublicradio.org. During the 12 days of Christmas, Lutheran Public Radio, lutheranpublicradio.org. 